Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the Master of Ceremonies, Matt, and we're joined by Ghastly Steve. Here I am. (laughs) We're so excited to have you on today, Steve. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is like a a fun little little project for me to do today. (laughs) Good. This is really exciting for me, too, because we've got this is like our big segue from our animal and like our animal nightmares into Spooktober. And I think this is like the perfect mood. The light in my room just changed as we started the episode, <laughs> um, which also is the perfect spooky mood. But like Pet Cemetery, which we're covering today, it perfectly joins that animal nightmare with the Spooktober vibe that we're getting into. Absolutely. Today we're talking about 1989's uh, Stephen King story, uh, Pet Cemetery. Directed by Mary Lambert, who I really loved their vision for this movie because all Stephen King stories have their camp to them. And you have to be willing to like kind of embrace it a little bit. It's true. It's true. Especially when you're talking about like zombie animals. Yeah, I think um, I think the movie is just very like it's beautifully shot. It's very like artistic and um, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Mary Lambert did a lot of Madonna's music videos in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So there's like such a, it, it's just very artistic. Like when you kind of, when you kind of put the horror aside for a minute and you actually look at the movie from like an artistic standpoint, it's really well done. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's really interesting that all of these Stephen King movies that have been coming out in the last like decade in here, uh, like we covered Cujo a couple weeks back. And it was just of this time when like they were just churning out Stephen King movies and the way that they all kind of differentiate from each other is that is like, like you said, the style and this one, it does have a more artistic vibe. They take it a lot more seriously, like for all the camp that these movies normally have, they take this seriously. And you kind of have to, it's Pet Mm -hmm. Cemetery. Yeah. This one brings up, I think one of Stephen King's best moral dilemmas in that Mm -hmm. if you have this ultimate power to bring someone back that you've loved, but they're not the same person, is it still worth doing it at the detriment of your own safety? I think it's just like a really, um, a really interesting theme because I feel like we've all kind of lost somebody at some point. And I think kind of the, the first kind of thought that you have is like, oh man, I would do anything to bring them back, like just to have a little bit more time with them. And so the story kind of, you know, answers that question, but it there's a catch, you know? So it kind of, it's just very, it's very interesting. It's like, honestly, I think it's one of Stephen King's like best works of all time. Yeah. I know my brother uh, read the book when he was in high school and was saying that he had to take breaks from it just because the book was so depressing. Uh, And I think it's one story that Stephen King has like a very soft spot for because he wrote that when he was becoming a father and he had a lot of his own like feelings of fear and grief of becoming a father. He put into the story in just the most nightmarish way possible. Um, and to really convey that to audiences who walk away being like, hmm, would I do the same thing? Damn, okay. I like that. <laughs> we have to get deep. This is a deep movie. You're right. <laughs> for all, especially for this original one, for all the like goofiness that's involved with it. Um, <laughs> it's definitely deep. Yeah. And I I mean, I feel like so if you look at the other like 80s Stephen King movies, like especially if you look at something like Creep Show, which is very campy, 
Yeah. Um, it's just a lot, it's, it's a lot more fun. Um, and uh, my roommate actually just like does not like horror at all. He just like, it freaks him out for some reason. And so um, as I've been going through my list of movies that I'm watching this month, Creepshow was on there and I was like, well, you can do that one. I was like, that one's kind of campy, but I was like, we won't make you watch Pet Cemetery because that one's just very like, it's like a hammer the whole time. Like there's just, it's very heavy. <laughs> yeah. And there's like, there's some legitimately terrifying stuff in oh, the yeah. movie too. Like it's actually kind of scary still. Well, Matt, I remember the first time you and I watched this oh, movie God. together and you <laughs> talking about Rachel's sister was the funniest part of the movie to me. What do you Just mean? because of how, because granted it's a truly terrifying scene but just how scared you were of that scene because you've seen some shit matt i have this is true <laughs> but it's just the way that they will we'll definitely talk about zelda later um but just it was just the way that i always forget that it's a part of the movie because like for all the deep no more dilemma stuff we've already kind of touched on there's this other side story happening <laughs> with Rachel and her her dark past. Just like any good Stephen King protagonist, they just have to have some like cryptically horrible shit happen to them mm-hmm. in the past that like somehow relates to what's going on now. And uh, I just always go, oh yeah, I forgot about Zelda. <laughs> and she continues to like pop up in like the most unexpected parts of the movie. So you kind of let your guard down and then she's yeah, like- forget about her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Um, but for those people who maybe have never heard of Pet Cemetery or have kind of just peripherally heard of the concept, um, it's a cursed Native American burial ground sits beyond a seemingly innocent pet cemetery on the Creed family's new property, bringing with it dark questions of morality and grief. And it's got the best tagline ever, really. Sometimes dead is better. I'm it's glad you did it in the accent. <laughs> you have, okay, like every single put thing in my little outline that I just wrote down, like the neighbor Judd, his first line is literally road. And I spelled it like phonetically. <laughs> oh man. Because King can't put something in Maine. And this is like one of the first times he's like, all right, we're getting really into deep Maine culture. Like there's this accent that no one knows about that's like all over this area. Well, and they filmed this like 20 minutes from Stephen King's house. So he watched this whole movie get filmed too. So he stuck around and he made his uh, little cameo in yeah, it, yeah. which I forgot about until I was watching this last night. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause like that, I think that cameo is like so iconic to Stephen King that like they even featured it in the uh, funeral derangements song. It, it's like the Stephen King cameo that you're like, ha. Before we started, I know, Steve, you mentioned that this is, like, your favorite. Yeah. Like, what really sticks out as, like, this is the one that you keep coming back to? Um, so, for me personally, there's, like, a lot of nostalgia to it. Um, I used to watch this movie with my cousins. Like, my cousins would do 4-H fairs, and so I would go up um, in the country for, like, a couple of weeks every summer. And we would watch this movie almost every single day for some... I don't know why, but, like... <laughs> So there's like a nostalgia factor, but at the same time, I feel like there's just a lot of different kinds of horror that Stephen King has like kind of put into the story. So like, obviously like 
there's a lot of like family trauma that happens throughout, but there's a lot of body horror specifically with Zelda. <laughs> um, there's just, a, there's a lot of different layers. It's like an onion movie. There's like just a lot of different layers to it. Um, there's a lot to unpack. And, um, you know, even, even being like shot the way that it was, and it was a very successful like adaptation from the book. The book is so much more intense. So when you watch the movie and like you're done and you're like, damn, that was a lot. And like, that doesn't, it barely scratches the surface for what the book is. Like it just kind of, the book takes it to a whole nother level, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's just something that always just kind of draws me back to the movie. Um, I could probably quote it like <laughs> pretty much the whole thing, <laughs> but it's just, I think the main thing is like when you watch it the first time, you kind of just, you kind of just think that Lewis is crazy and you're just like, well, why, why would you, like, you know how this is going to end. Like, why would you continue to do that? But I feel like the more that you watch it, like the more you kind of understand the, the insanity that's just kind of happening. I mean, like he's just what he's lived through. Like, of course, like he's going to, you know, do what he does in the end. So I don't know. There's just, it's, it's a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that they like make Lewis more and more, uh, relatable, like upon the rewatches. Um, but if you can quote it, so like, what are your favorite lines then? Aside from the main accents, are there any other standouts? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, the sometimes dead is better. Um, you know, tagline is iconic for this movie. I also really liked um, when Pascal takes Lewis into the um, the graveyard. Well, actually, I guess this is a, this is a Judd quote as well. But like, they talk about how the ground is sour. Um, I think that's just very like visual kind of, um, but those two like are kind of iconic for me in, in terms of this movie. Danny, do you have a standout one or two? I mean, like I kind of, so part of the things I love about Lewis in this movie is that he's a terrible liar over the phone, specifically when he's first trying to tell his daughter that church is fine after church has just died. And he's just like, yeah. He, he's fine man i kind of love the like one of the redeeming things about this movie is like you know it was made in the 80s when like stephen king movies were just like on an assembly line but like all of them had a very unique sense of charm but like what was always one of the like cons for me like the first time i saw this movie was that like lewis's actor did like not do it for me i was like bro like give me something else like you're deadpan in this conversation but like upon the rewatches i'm like no that's just how a man broken looks mm -hmm. and like just the whole time he's on the phone he's just gone like he's on autopilot yeah yeah and it's i mean it's it's kind of hard to kind of put yourself in that position because like I've, there's so many supernatural elements that kind of you know go into the movie but if we were <laughs> to just sit there and say, well, I guess maybe if I buried, you know, a cat and it came back and whatever, like I'd probably be a little bit unhinged at that point, at that point in time. Um, and then obviously the, you know, the rest of the movie plays out and far worse things happen. So I feel like it's just, I feel like it's, it's, I guess a natural in the supernatural. <laughs> well, and I love that he doesn't like the cat like the, he makes it very clear that the cat is for his daughter and then when it comes back to life and it's suddenly more attached to him i feel like that's the first 
spark of insanity that now he's stuck with this thing that he didn't even like in the first place but he took it upon himself to bring this supernatural power to try to make his daughter feel better and it just latched onto him as a kind of curse yeah like it immediately like didn't do what he wanted so it should be like, okay, le- learn the lesson, okay? This is not going to scratch the itch you want it scratched. Um, if I had a pet cemetery like that, I would just be burying all kinds of animals if I found <laughs> out that it could do. Like, you know, if I buried a cat and it came back to life, I'd be like, no way. I'd like try to go like bury like a jewel chicken in the ground and see if it came back to life. Like I would just do all sorts of creepy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Not a rotisserie chicken, Matt. <laughs> I think that's like, too late. <laughs> it would be like uh, that horrible movie Sausage Party, but like a horror movie because they don't feel like evil. <laughs> I'm into that. Could send yeah. that idea to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> it would certainly give me nightmares. <laughs> I don't know about all you guys, but I feel like this movie did a proto Mike Flanagan, and it was like a really good, in this case, actually Stephen King story that was like high key about death and moving on. Um, but like Mike Flanagan already did a bunch of those. So like, he doesn't need to like give this the revisit, mm-hmm. but like, it's kind of cool that it's like the proto horror that it makes you sad and scares you at the same time. Well, yeah, like we were talking about this movie covers a lot of trauma for basically everybody in it because like, <laughs> we go through why the cat dying has such a significant attachment to, um, Oh, what's their daughter's Ellie, name? I think is her Ellie. Name. Oh, yeah. Um, and how she has these like omnipresent dreams about the, the future. Yeah, dude, she's got uh, the shine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also lets us know why Judd knows about it and how it affected him when he was younger. And I kind of love that it delves into so many people's traumas and how they deal with it differently. Like when Rachel just fully breaks down later in the movie and just has to kind of just lay, she lays there in bed, nothing phasing her while Lewis is trying to go about his days and just is depressed as shit. The dad loses his mind and attacks Lewis, which is uncalled for. I'm just going to say it it just makes me there's so many scenes in this movie that make me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. One of them is Rachel just coming in and being like, hey, husband, I know you didn't ask for this, but like, here's the worst story you've ever heard. (laughs) And she's screaming through the whole thing. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm already trying to deal with this fucking dead cat. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's not ready for that. Mm -hmm. And then he's at his well, we'll get to you know the circumstances of why he gets punched in the face but yes like that's fucked up <laughs> i feel like really the movie is just it could really be a like a biograph like a biography pick for rachel's character because she I really i mean everyone like you guys said everyone really has trauma in this movie but like i feel like her trauma is under a microscope the whole time <laughs> like dealing with like the past and then like she's trying to kind of like navigate what's going on in the present and then really like her own undoing is not even her fault you know because like she's kind of the the byproduct of somebody else's negligence Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially Stephen King does this kind of horribly cruel underhanded thing where 
he creates a character like Rachel that has these very specific traumas and trauma responses and like things that would not really ever associate with her in her adult life to like cause a breakdown. And then he creates a situation that does all of those things and then kills her pretty much just to spite her. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't need to ever be like have her sister come to her in nightmares and be like, Hey, everything you used to think of is real. And also you're going to die for like the, the ghosts did not need to do that to her. <laughs> like, they did not need to bully her for no reason. Also, I'm just going to be the one to say it. The kid who, ca- who plays Gage oh, is man. fucking adorable the yes. entire time. He sets a new bar for cutest kid in horror away from Alex Vincent, which is saying something. Yeah, so people who have seen the movie, you may also have recognized him. He was in uh, New Nightmare. Um, I recognized him from Full House because he was one of Michelle's classmates because I grew up (laughs) on that show. That was like when you knew uh, one of the women. I don't remember what movie it was, but you were like, yeah, this was like a character who was like... um, some one of the kids bullies or something and i was like oh well <laughs> like, how do you sh- it's like me with heroes where i just know some obscure character because they were on this show same thing with full house yeah i was gonna say i was like the only thing i remember that actor being in was new nightmare um and i watched that up op- like after i watched pet cemetery so i was like oh i was like well at least he's still getting work after that terrifying performance like <laughs> Well, and to bring up funeral derangements again, uh, he's in the music video for, uh, you, you know, Ice Nine Kills, Steve, as Danny talked to you and all about them. Um, I've heard of them. I kind of know kind of what they're about, but not like in like, you know, in depth. <laughs> they, uh, they make a lot of songs about horror movies and they made one about Pet Cemetery, and in their music videos where they basically just do highlight reels of the movie with the band in it. They have uh, the the scene where he the the truck comes and the driver of the truck is the adult actor who would play game. Oh, that's awesome! I can't believe they like found him. Right? Like, like I, so I don't think he's done much acting in the 21st century. I I mean I could be wrong because I I'm sure I wouldn't recognize him now that he's an adult, but. I don't think I've seen him in anything recently other than that music video. But um, you had the whole cast up or did you just want to highlight uh, a couple? Cause like there's some other people that show up, <laughs> show up pretty hard. Coming back to Judd, our favorite accented main man, yeah, man. Um, is played by uh, Fred Gwynn, Gwine? not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. Um, but I feel like most people will recognize him either as uh, Herman Munster from yeah. the Munsters or the judge from My Cousin Vinny. Yes, I was so, so glad you included that one. <laughs> Which are some of my favorites of his uh, performances. Um, we also have uh, Brad Greenquist, who plays um, Pascal, who I didn't really recognize from anything else. Um, he was in the most recent uh, King Richard movie with Will Smith. Um, he was in the Lone Ranger movie with Johnny Depp in the mid 2010s. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Pascal to me is like the most terrifying thing about that entire movie. And I mean, like, I don't know why, but like, he's just terrifying. I actually, um, I actually dressed up as him for Halloween like a few years ago. 
And maybe we'll try and like, you know, get over the fear of this character if I just become him. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's something about um, how that actor delivers the lines. It's just Mm -hmm. very, very creepy. Um, Yeah. And then just, yeah. The whole, the whole thing, the whole well, thing. Yeah. Could be- and the first time he appears, it's just such a shock from what you've been watching in the movie so far. And like, you know that Lewis is a doctor, but you don't expect him on his first day of work yeah. to have to deal with such a traumatic patient. Yeah. And then the first night of like, right after, I mean, like you just don't get a break. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, I hope, you know, <laughs> you guys didn't get too sick of like that character. Cause he's coming back right now. Like, mm-hmm. And that he comes back at night and like, I have a little bit of a problem with, with Victor. Cause I feel like he unintentionally like screws everything up. <laughs> like he, he shows up and he's like, Hey, thanks for saving me. Don't ever go over there. Trust me. Don't, you know what? Get out of bed. I'm going to walk you to the place. Like, this place. Don't go there by whatever you do. Don't go there. Peace out. <laughs> like, I'm like, all right. <laughs> I was trauma enough watching you die. I don't need your ghost to be like, hey, buddy, uh, ghosts are real. Also, don't do this thing. And I, I feel like just with Zelda, just like with Zelda, like Pascal also pops up in the most like just random places. I mean, his appearances make sense to like where he's popping up. But like at the same time, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to focus on this one thing. And then like my mind's like going all the way back over here. Because now I have to see like your brain hanging out of your head again. Like... <laughs> Yeah, or I mean, if he's just casually helping you rent a car, you're just like, oh, shit, there's a horribly mangled corpse next to me. He's kind of (laughs) goofy. Like, towards the end, he's got some, like... He really is. (laughs) I think once you get over, like, the initial horror of that character, like, you're like, okay, I guess we're friends now. Like, I guess, (laughs) like, you're you're trying to do the right thing. It's fine. Mm -hmm. He's like all the ghosts from The Sixth Sense, where they're all, like, they mean well, they just look awful. <laughs> we also have Denise Crosby who plays uh, Rachel. She was also in I don't know her from anything else really, but um she was in uh, Miracle Mile in the late 80s. She was in Dolly Dearest in the early 90s. Um she became she's done some voice acting as of late. Um she did the Star Trek Online game in the uh, late 2000s. Uh, but I mostly just know her from this movie. Yeah, it's like, oh, the mob from Pet Cemetery. And then naturally we gotta cap it off with Lewis himself, uh, Dale Midkiff, um, who was also in one of the Crow sequels. Yes, he um, was. Which is always fun to see. Um, and he was uh not too long ago featured in an episode of Castle, the Nathan Fillion show. He hasn't done too much as of late. I think the last thing he did was a movie called Hell's Kitty in 2018, which I'm hoping is like a parody of Pet Cemetery because that's what <laughs> the poster looks like. <laughs> oh my God, someone's got to make like a little evil for Pet Cemetery. Because <laughs> that the tagline for Hell's Kitty, for all who are interested, is you'll wish you had nine lives. Ooh. And I want to know what that means. <laughs> Um, I think that he gets a bad rap. I think the actor gets a bad rap for this guy. I don't think that he was supposed to be that like deadpan, but he used it to his advantage. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I feel like towards the end of the movie, like, he's almost just, like, acting himself. I'm trying not to give anything away before we, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> too in-depth into the movie, but, like, he's essentially kind of almost like a one-man show, essentially. So he's, I mean, I definitely do agree. I think he's deadpan a lot, like, especially after, like, a bulk of the movie happens, and especially when he's talking to Judd. Um, I feel yeah, like yeah. a lot of their conversations, like, he's very deadpan, which kind of it doesn't necessarily take me out of it, but um, it, yeah, he, he doesn't really know how to emote that much when <laughs> specifically. Yeah. It, it takes a little bit of getting used to understanding where um, Lewis is coming from in most of the times, especially in later on in the movie, as he's gone through more traumatic experiences. I love all the and- vagueness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. It's, no, I it's know. hard. <laughs> But he's gone through so much and like you just see that he starts off fairly deadpan, but you just see him lose more and more emotion mm-hmm. that he can give to other people as the movie progresses. And I kind of love that journey. Well, in those scenes with Judd, it's like Judd's killing it. Like the character is so interesting and he's so well played that like by comparison, uh, yeah. <laughs> Midkiff's like uh, like, like Judd gets done telling him like the creepiest story and like caps it off with like the scariest thing Lewis has probably ever heard. And he's just kind of like, and I'm like, bro, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a time for deadpan when it's emotionally evocative. And yeah, I do think it's important to note that Stephen King himself wrote the screenplay for this movie. So it is a good adaptation of his story because he was the one who did it. And unlike with Maximum Overdrive, he wasn't completely in creative control, so it got weird. Uh, And I do love that Stephen King also mentioned that this is one of the only stories he's written that truly terrifies himself. And I think going back to what you mentioned earlier with him having written this while becoming a parent for the first time, it really brings existential terror as someone who's who can make mistakes and ultimately makes the biggest mistakes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice that, that like King likes to put in allegories into his stories. And it's kind of like how he normally does addiction, but this in this way, it's still sort of an addiction centric model because like it's all about the thing you think you want just makes it worse. Uh, because humans just don't know their own weaknesses mm-hmm. and they're always going to try to take the easy way out. Uh, and in this case, the addiction is not booze or violence or whatever. It's using this dope pet cemetery. Which I'm glad we uh, figured out very early on that you would use completely, Matt. <laughs> I would treat it like a like an unsupervised hot tub. I would just spend afternoons there. <laughs> I feel like you could also start to like time it to figure out like how long it's going to take. Yeah. yeah, I would like take notes. It would be like a scientific study. <laughs> I'd come to people and be like, hey guys, so um, God isn't real. Spirits, I guess, are real. Also, Native American magic is real. And here's a scientific document about it. Matt would be going full Mythbusters on Stephen King. I would be King. like Indiana Jones. It would be like Indiana Jones, but like with science. <laughs> no, I would, I would use the power just for fun. I wouldn't use it to um, feed a dark void in my soul. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's about time we get into the plot of this movie. Don't you gentlemen? 
Absolutely. So when we pick up this movie, we're introduced to this road and all of the trucks that we will continue to hear and see because foreshadowing is very important. Um, And we start to meet our our main family, the Creeds, as they're moving into their brand new house. And things seem like they're all going to be great. Everything's doing all right. We got Lewis being called Doc by his wife, which is a, I get it. It's a cute little nickname, but it's also a little weird sometimes because it makes me think of Bugs Bunny, but that's just a personal thing. And The Shining, like Stephen King, you already used that nickname. You can't use it again (laughs) just because he's an actual doctor. Also, I kind of love that they chose like a giant farmhouse to move into when he became the doctor at at a university. Um, just so they'd have plenty of room also pro tip for anybody who ever moves into a new place especially with little kids if there's already a tire swing up there don't let your kids swing on it before you've tested to see if it will like break because it will it's the same thing with like checking your kids candy like it seems like it's just to be like oh fuck these kids i'm gonna swing on this swing it's like no i'm trying to make it so that you don't hurt yourself I don't know. I feel like we should just let him, you know, just swing on the swing. See what happens. Builds character. (laughs) And if not, I mean, we're going to learn about a pet cemetery. (laughs) Yeah, we've got bigger fish to fry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Your note about the the trucks. Uh, I hate fast trucks. I hate large moving. Like, that's why I'm like kind of afraid of trains. Like anything that's moving so quickly and is so heavy that will just pulverize anything that it touches. It's like the real horror here. <laughs> like vehicular manslaughter, <laughs> reckless driving. Like they're just chaotic things that could fuck your life up forever and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm like, It's the precursor to the maximum overdrive Green Goblin truck just running around. <laughs> do you think that was Stephen King's way of doing what Steve did and dressing up as the thing that scared him but making it beautiful? <laughs> He's like, hey, I just like traumatized myself with Pet Cemetery. Like, maybe like I make the truck a goofy thing. <laughs> it works. I, I'm telling you. I say I vibe with it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Why Batman dresses as a bat? It all comes together. <laughs> so I should dress as a train, is what you are saying. <laughs> Matt, I'm telling you, you have to do Starlight Express. Yes. I was thinking more like a transformer. Like I'd just be like a huge train, but uh, I don't think they had. A transformer train. <laughs> anyway, get us back on track, Danny. So I'm trying. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my final one. I promise. I'll believe it when I see it, Matt. Um, but we meet Judd because um, Gage is starting to walk towards the road because um, Lewis and Rachel are paying attention to Ellie, who has scraped her knee by falling off of a broken tire swing. And Gage is just walking his happy ass over wherever he wants. He's learning the lands. And um, Judd is able to pick him up before he gets hit by a truck. Because that would be really upsetting on your first day in a new house. To lose your youngest child. I couldn't imagine. (laughs) So Judd introduces himself while Ellie notices that there's a marked path leading away from their house. And they're just like, huh, that's weird. What could that be about? And Judd's like, ah, I'll show you later. It'll be okay. Do it again with a uh, correct accent. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll show you later. Uh. <laughs> That's not bad. That's actually good, man. 
Thank you. Thank you. I promise I'm a professional actor. This is my trade. Yay. Pay him for his services. <laughs> so I Judd. Like Judd, though. I like him. I do really like Judd. Like he has everybody's best interest at heart until he realizes that sometimes people don't have their own best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Good lessons, Judd. I didn't even think about that one until you just said so. Magic. So Judd takes them to the pet cemetery, which Rachel immediately understands that it is spelled incorrectly, and they never really talk about why. And I kind of love it. Because kids are dumb. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just because like the kids made the, like, the sign, and maybe they were just, I guess, illiterate, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But they were spelling it phonetically. Cemetery is a hard word to spell, I guess. Sometimes I mess it up. Not with an (laughs) S, but like with the E and the A's. Um, but the vibe of the cemetery is it's it's really creepy, but it's kind of sweet in a creepy way. Mm -hmm. Like the opening credits are really, really cool because it's all through like these slow pans and close-up shots of all these different um like crudely made headstones and like you know again like kind of like winnie the pooh spellings of names where like the r's are backwards and stuff because again kids don't know how to spell i guess mm-hmm. well and some of them uh, have little like fun tidbits that reminds yeah. me of like the haunted mansion tombstones mm-hmm. yeah yeah like and one of them's like an empty fish bowl like, for the yeah. goldfish <laughs> like fun <laughs> well i feel like the, the opening scene where they're like going through all the headstones and stuff like I I just feel like children in a choir singing is terrifying for some reason. And like, just kind of like the effects that they used in the audio. Like if I, if I put the movie on like in another room and I go and do something, I have to like immediately like, r- like run right back into the room and like mute it or something. Cause it just freaks me out too much. <laughs> I'm like, another part of that. I'm like, no, I'm like, cause what if a child appeared? Like, no. They did the same thing with pets, uh, not pets, uh, children of the corn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was full of children singing in a choir. Well, and I also love that Rachel is immediately uncomfortable with this because she is obviously uncomfortable with her children being around the idea of death, which you don't really understand until later when she tells you about her experience with Zelda as to why she is just so adamantly against children having to face the reality, the horrifying realities of death, despite the fact that Judd's trying to make it as light as possible at the yeah. cemetery when he's trying to not scare Ellie by saying that the dead speak while saying that the dead speak to her, <laughs> to an impressionable child who thinks that the ghost will appear. Yeah, especially to an impressionable child with the shine, which one of the known Stephen King shine powers is talking to the dead. <laughs> so if that starts to happen to her, that's like horrifying. Mm-hmm. The way they kind of handle death, too, uh, like, it's a deep, unexpected theme you think this movie would talk about, being, like, talking to your kids about death. Like, parents watching these movies are probably like, oh, man, am I doing something wrong, too? Like, like, what's the right age to talk about that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I feel like, um, I mean, like, I'm not a parent myself, so I'm sure, like, if you are a parent, like, that does add, like, a whole nother element to watching this movie. Um, but I feel like Judd and Rachel kind of represent like kind of the two approaches to talking to children about death. Cause like, obviously Judd's very, like you guys said, very lighthearted. He tries to make it very not scary. And Rachel is more like a realist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So yeah. I really, I kind of liked how their their characters kind of butted heads a little bit, like in that scene. Well, yeah, and like Rachel immediately as she gets uncomfortable, takes Gage off of Lewis's shoulders to be like, no, I need to hold my baby to feel comfortable myself, let alone how my kids are feeling right now, surrounded by all of this death. And I think that's a nice little way of showing just how she hasn't dealt with her trauma about death yet. It's all these little subtle things in this movie for me that really, really sell it. Yeah, uh, because I mean, this... that's probably why Stephen King wrote the adaptation. Like he knew exactly what he wanted the viewers to get from these characters and from their individual traumas. He's like, I got to put that in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Judd's got the uh, um, uh, the Mr. Rogers approach where like you can't, you know, sell it too lightly like death. Yeah, it's a very harsh reality, but you can't give it to them with the like things are awful and they're never going to be good. And like shit ends always like, it's just talking to them very simply. Like, yes, sometimes people, this is a way that they can say goodbye to things like their pets, uh, Mm -hmm. which is usually the first time children ever experience Mm -hmm. death, uh, which is almost in a way kind of a built-in safety net because it's not something as ephemeral as like your parents or like a sibling or a loved one. Um, It's something that you love that is kind of designed in like the, the the nuclear family sense to mm-hmm. not live as long um so the kids can kind of see yeah you know death is out there but death isn't something that should be dreaded it's just a part of life mm-hmm. uh, but we don't handle it that way do we kids <laughs> we handle it badly in this movie <laughs> well yeah and judd were and judd warns ellie to make sure that um church doesn't go too close to the road because church is their cat who's named after Winston Churchill. <laughs> so cute. Which, like, that's a bold choice to name it after a historical figure like that. Um, I'm here for it. I'm all here for always giving animals weird names. Your people names, at the very least. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Because <laughs> then you can just start talking about them, and people will never know if you're talking about your dog or, like, a relative. And that is always a fun game to me. <laughs> I gotta go to Mama Kathleen's for Thanksgiving. Who's Mama Kathleen? Oh, it's my sister's dog. <laughs> and so, naturally, in order to make sure that Church doesn't go and stray too far, um, they decide to fix Church the next day, which um, one of the people who work at the house, and her name's Missy, oh. decides to teach Ellie that that means that they're gonna s- give Church the good old snip-snip. And uh, Lewis isn't thrilled that his daughter knows that phrase now, uh, but he does take Church to the vet while he's off to his first day at work. Um, where before he leaves, he and Rachel have this weird little spat about talking about death after the previous day, um, where they have this little uh, like reconciliation bef- right before he leaves which is honestly really cute. And you understand like how much these two people love each other, even despite not always agreeing on everything, which to me is what makes a good relationship. You won't always agree on things. That's just not the nature of being human, but it's about how you react to the disagreements that shows whether you have longevity or not to me. Right. That's exactly right. Um, I think uh, to back up for just two seconds, their housekeeper it's very creepy. Like she really just gives me bad vibes. 
Yeah. Missy, Missy like presents the energy that I always want to give off, like just in life in general. <laughs> like I just kind of always want to be that like very like ominous, creepy person that's just kind of like in the shadows. Apparently talking to kids about getting their pets neutered. I don't I don't know yeah. where she like <laughs> she's like a cross between like a like a like a rolled doll character, like someone out of Matilda, and like one of the creepy hostesses at the haunted mansion. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like she just comes in with like this like witch like sneer, and she's just like, "Oh, I got stomach cancer." See, like, and then she just goes down and like does the laundry or whatever the fuck. Like she just is cre- is a weird presence. Like when she just comes in, they're like, "Oh, hi." Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah and i'm not sure where she even was like hired from because like i mean did she just come with the house like what is yeah, like, probably literally, like explain she just pops up and you're like oh okay well yeah half the time i think about this movie unless i've watched it recently i forget that she's in this movie because yeah she just appears and then disappears about in the same 20 minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I usually and uh, not be, not for lack of trying. I just owned this copy before I owned the original. But I I usually find myself watching the remake of this movie, and her character has been caught completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the only reason that I still remember Zelda because she's not featured in the remake uh, is because Zelda is so horrifying that I'm never going to forget her. Yeah. Yeah. I feel. I mean, just just to talk about the remake like, really quick. I feel like there were like a few things that they did correctly. But then there were like few like a few things that like maybe they didn't do correctly, and I feel like I, I'm not trying to jump the gun here, but like with Zelda specifically, I feel like it was just so much more intense. And even with the Pascal character too, both of them yeah. are so much more intense in the original versus like the remake. And I feel yeah. like in the remake they're not as like they're just not as important. Like they're still important, but they're just, they don't hold as much weight as they do mm-hmm. in the, in the original. Yeah. Sure. I found myself while watching this. Cause I haven't watched the original in a longer time than since I had seen the remake. And I found myself about halfway through being like, Oh shit. I was thinking of the wrong version of this movie. I don't remember how this one's going to end. And that yeah. was a real fun adventure. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's probably like, wait, what the fuck? Halfway through this movie, all bets are off because yeah. the big fulcrum of the plot is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like the re- the remake was, um, I guess. Well, yeah, we could just talk a little bit about it. But the uh, I like it. I think it's it's a it's just a different kind of horror movie. It's taking the same uh, plot focus, like the same like general concept, and it's just making a different kind of horror movie. Um, one that is good and is creepy, uh, but when compared to like what the initial idea of the concept was and the things that it played with, this movie just hits those beats a lot more, mm-hmm. um, which I think doesn't mean the other one is bad. It just means the other one was trying to do something else, which I guess is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like, um, and I'm... Gonna, I'm gonna try and word this in a way to where it's not gonna give anything away, but the <laughs> we're uh, almost there. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um the two characters that kind of have their fate flipped in the new one, I feel like that was a really cool way because I feel like the the character in the new version, 
um, would be a little bit more kind of aware of what's going on versus where in this one, it's kind of more abstract, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. not as like, it's, it's still scary, but it's, I feel honestly like the new one in that regard might be a little bit more scarier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels like this one, it's more like the evil spirit wearing a mask mm -hmm. and the mask just looks like this character where yeah. in the new one, it's like they twisted the nature, which is kind of what the pet cemetery is like, I guess, supposed to do. <laughs> and yeah, I, that sounds a lot scarier to me. <laughs> yeah. So then Rachel and the kids are off to Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. To spend some time with Rachel's parents. Um, and Lewis comes home one day and Judd's like, Hey, uh, I got a dead cat in my yard and I think it's yours. And he's like, Oh shit. So he has to go, he has to identify his own dead cat, <laughs> which is a little weird. And the way he has to tear it up from the grass, Ooh. the sounds it makes, makes me cringe, <laughs> which is like what a good horror movie should do in a moment like that. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> it's supposed to be like extra enunciated because that's to imply because like he breaks its neck as he like pulls it up from the ground or something like that. Mm -hmm. So when he shows up again, he's like, oh, your neck's like jutting out, busted mm -hmm. open. And which was, I guess, from when I like yanked you off mm -hmm. the frozen. Ugh, yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> Well, yeah, and like the morning dew froze onto the cat, so it was stuck a little bit harder to the grass. Mm. Yeah. And Judd's like, "Hey, um, not to not to overstep my boundaries or anything, but uh, I may have something that could help us." And so he grabs a pickaxe and a <laughs> shovel, and he's like, "Follow me." Take that and cat with you, there, yeah. <laughs> and Lewis is like, "Okay." I don't know how I'm going to break the news to Ellie, but I'll go take care of this first. And they walk to the pet cemetery and they walk beyond the pet cemetery. Yeah. They go past that big deadfall of trees that uh, Pascal specifically said to not go past. Yeah. Yeah. Pascal gave him one direction and Lewis immediately forgot it because he was too <laughs> concerned that there was dirt on his feet when he woke up. <laughs> I, that should be your tell like that should be like okay this is real i should not do that i just i feel like also i i feel like he didn't really want to go past the deadfall but like i feel like he was also struggling with how to be like well judd this ghost came to me in the middle of the night and like yeah. <laughs> so like because i feel like like also him being a doctor he's very like logical and so I feel like he would just, I think he was kind of concerned about how he was going to be perceived <laughs> by Judd. So he's like, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Let's just, let's go in further into the woods. It's fine. Yeah. Well, yeah and he's like, is it safe to like walk up here? And Judd's like, I've done this a couple of times. Just go where I go. <laughs> a couple of times, Judd, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> um, but like to to go back for a sec so he's alone which is one reason that like husbands left alone it's it's the devil's plaything. like just, you know, like give him something to do give him like a task like don't just leave them to do nothing um 
but they leave him alone because Rachel's family, uh, as traumatic as they made her past, also hate Lewis. <laughs> like openly despise Lewis to the point that they're like, "Do not come and see us for for Thanksgiving." Right? Is when? Yeah, they- I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a family holiday, and they're like, "No, no, you don't come. We hate you. <laughs> Bring the kids, but not the husband." <laughs> So yeah, Judd's like his only friend that he can just go like have beers with, which seems like a great neighbor experience. Um, it would be so fun to just have a beer with Judd on the porch. Yeah. Just giving me like Herman Munster, like <laughs> like witticisms, that'd be the best. <laughs> I, I was talking to Belle about this the other day, Danny, but I'm like, I really want to pitch a show um, that's... Uh, Elvira playing like in, in disguise, like as Cassandra Peterson, living next door to Dolly Parton, and like just how that would be, because like the two of them are just like the like the coin flip of each other. Like that's always been my theory that like Elvira is just like goth Dolly Parton, and then now I just kind of want to have Herman Munster live across the street and just be like their goofy neighbor. <laughs> I, I would support that show. I would definitely watch that. <laughs> but he buries Church in uh, not a pet cemetery. Um, it's distinctively a different type of burial ground. Yeah, it's a uh, like cursed Native American land, which also is the hardest thing to break into. Because when he first hits it with the pickaxe, it goes nowhere. It is hard ground. And he's like, well, Judd, are you going to help me? And he's like, nah, he's just got to bury his own. (laughs) And he's like, like, well, thanks for taking me then. (laughs) It's like, well, cool. I don't know how to dig. I'm a doctor. The ground even like repels the first like time. It's like, that's like the last warning of like, stop, dude, please do it. You don't want to do this. Yeah. And it like sparks too. Like (laughs) it is truly being like, please, you don't want to do this. (laughs) Just give up, please. I also think it's really cool how, like, in the actual pet cemetery, like, all of the graves are kind of um, assembled into, like, a circle. And when you look at the the burial ground, like, the Indian burial ground, um, there's still, like, a whole bunch of circles, but there's, like, it's almost like there's, like, circles. There's a whole bunch of little circles that kind of make up a huge one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I was, I'm just thinking out loud here, but it's kind of yeah. interesting that they use the same kind of shape um, in both of those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like the the design in the Native American burial grounds, like all crop circle-y and very mm-hmm. like, intricate, like purposeful, like the yeah. it's a very specific layout. Uh, and yeah, like the pet cemetery, it just seems like it's like a one of those like spiral type things too. Mm-hmm. That it's just all of these like crude headstones made out of like bed posts and like iron wrought iron fence posts, and they're just haphazardly put in the ground. Yeah. As opposed to like the mountain is very organized, all of the stones like piles look exactly the same because mm-hmm. they're like this is a we don't use this. Like we want to get rid of who like was buried here. Like we don't mm-hmm. want anybody to know. Like this, like this is that our sign of being like, hey, it's quarantine, dog. Like, no, don't come in here. <laughs> and that's when uh, Lewis gets home and gets his call from uh, Rachel talking about how Ellie was scared because she had a dream about church dying. And he's like, no, no, church, church, church is fine. It's it's all good here. 
Because uh, then she's like, really, that because like I had a dream that you and Judd buried him in a pet cemetery, and I'm just wondering like why you would do that. Like she gives him like the exact what he did. And he's like, oh, no, we didn't. <laughs> and then it, it's the next day when he's going in to put away all the stuff, and he sees now yellow-eyed church who is not very happy to see him as he hisses at him and scratches his cheek um which i do love that then the scar is there for the rest of the movie because mm-hmm, yeah. most of this movie takes place over like a week which has got to be what makes it even more traumatizing because like from churches or from them leaving for thanksgiving to the end of the movie i think is maybe a week yeah it's it's not too like terribly long at all and when you think about everything that happens in this film <laughs> that's a lot to unpack it's yeah. been a, a year yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah man like i'm just imagining like yeah from like i mean it's like the thesis of like any big slasher movie like you think that you're just going to be having fun in the wilderness hiking with your friends danny and then you're captured, horrifically murdered, and uh, forced to live on a commune on a mountain. I'm thinking specifically about Romter. I know. I was surprised <laughs> you didn't bring up the tree, the tree death that really messed. Yeah, with I you. really don't like thinking about it. <laughs> it really <laughs> bothers me. Maybe I should dress up as a big tree and hurl myself yeah. down cliffs, and then that'll like conquer my fear of it. There it you works. go, Matt. That's your one. That's the one. I'm not, not even mocking your I'm not mocking your method. I'm just saying like in any other instance it's goofy for me to think about it. Because Stephen like at least Pascal is like you can actually dress up as him. <laughs> I can't oh, yeah. dress up as like well I'm not free to train, so I guess that's point. <laughs> I mean you could like Thomas the tank <laughs> like a costume somewhere. Yes! Start there. <laughs> that's incredible oh you know what i i was i have i've had two parties this this month and i i had i was just gonna wear the same costume to both but now i think i just might go find like a child-sized thomas Engine <laughs> costume with a little hat that my brother went as seven years in a row for halloween and just do that Sounds solid to me. I love that plan, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, where were we? (laughs) So Lewis has just seen church and he goes to Judd and is like, hey, um, what the fuck? And Judd's like, yeah, "Yeah, they come back. Yeah, church starts behaving like a normal cat when he's undead, and he's just like, Oh, I'm kind of moody and I don't like people. Yeah, yeah. I mean it happens. Just a normal cat, you know, a little bit of glowing eyes, a little bit of, you know, mm. garbage bags in his teeth. But other than that. Yeah, the usual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to just take a second to talk about the fact that Church bit his way out of the grave. That is yeah. commitment and takes time. Well, like, didn't they have him, like when they have him fixed, don't they also do that thing where like they remove like the back claws? Oh, do they declaw him too? I mean, I, I would assume just like in the same procedure just to get all of them knocked out because like cats use their back claws to like attack. And if he's like a family cat, you want to like take those away. Mm-hmm. So he's got nothing really to like get out of the bag except his little tiny mouth things. 
Well, I, I mean, he's, he slashed Lewis pretty good. So I, I'm going to say he at least had his front claws. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He chose to bite his way out of the bag. He just wanted to eat something. He was hungry. I I get it. (laughs) That kind like, I really wasn't ever actually scared of this cat. I was like, oh, you know, it's an undead cat. What's the problem? Now I'm actually kind of afraid. Like always forget the detail that he bit his way out. Mm Mm-hmm. He was determined. He had, he had things to do. Yeah. Do you, this is a little bit, this is slightly on topic. Do you, did you guys watch Fairly Odd Parents a lot when you were kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me if you remember this, but I feel like there was an episode that was kind of loosely based on Pet Cemetery, where like Timmy had a like a dead hamster that he put like, yes. he buried in, like his mother's garden and his mom like sucked at gardening. So he's like, I wish everything in my my mother's garden <laughs> would come to life. And then this like zombie hamster came out and it like legitimately tried to kill people. Yeah. And like, I just can't stop thinking about that now. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that. I'm going to have to like, find it on Peacock or something later and just be like, yeah. hey, guys, Pet Cemetery made it on the Nickelodeon. Yeah, and I, I specifically remember that episode because, like, in the I think it was in the very end. Like, it was either in the very end or when the hamster first came back. But it was, like, Timmy was like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. And he gave it a hug and it, like, snapped in half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Nickelodeon shows used to go off for Halloween. Dude, they would- <laughs> get like needlessly horrific if they just didn't seem like they didn't give a shit every other episode of invader zim is like a david cronenberg movie (laughs) you're right i mean it's great i and you love it (laughs) i did i i got into that show man (laughs) i can't believe it man um so we're almost to where we could start like actually like okay here's the yeah we can release (laughs) um but before we get to there we do have one more thing we really have to talk about which is when judd tells lewis about what has happened in the past when someone tried to bury a person in the native american ground which is also very upsetting to hear about how this dad just really tried to get his son back after the war. Which is, again, heartbreaking in concept, especially since his son doesn't come back like he was. He becomes this monster of sorts, almost akin to a Frankenstein's creature. Yeah. Um, and naturally, the townspeople take to it like Frankenstein's creature and decide to burn down the house with the creature inside but the dad having wanting to stay with his son until the bitter end ends up dying in that same fire Uh, it's just heartbreaking and it's It's... led by Judd too is how Judd knows about it is because he was there it's a very heavy scene like that entire, there's just so much like emotion and again, trauma. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's also terrifying. Like yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you first see that character and he's got a like a leg and you're like, where'd you get that from? And then he's like clawing at his, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> it's just like a lot. Yeah, Judd's stories are like, 
pure nightmares. Like yeah. the initial one where he's like, yeah, well, I buried my dog in the pet cemetery and then it came back like evil and I had to kill it. Uh, and he's just kind of like ends that story with like, you know, sometimes dead is better. And then Lewis is like, hey, has anyone ever tried to like bury a person? And then he's like, oh, uh, no, no, of course. He's like, no, no, please don't do that. What Christ? No, God, good God. No one would ever, <laughs> ever, no one would ever do that. And Except for like, this one time. <laughs> well, yeah. but like, aside from the fact that he's like clearly lying, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 amount of fear on his face, though, asking that question, like if you've never seen this movie, like knowing like, holy shit, somebody did. What the fuck happened? Like, I want to know now. And him telling that whole story is just it, it's what like like Zelda. It's like a left turn. You're just not expecting into like oh this goes into some dark places mm-hmm. and will directly mirror like what these characters have to go through and the fact that you're right like judd saw it judd learned the power of it but he still used it to help lewis so just like lewis you know his incessant use of it, it like once you get a taste like you're like well it becomes a way to solve problems it's an mm-hmm. easy way out and it becomes a useful solution after the kite day. The worst scene I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're at a picnic outside their house. And Gage is flying a kite and drops it because he's a tiny, tiny child. And it starts to fly away in the wind. Um which it's a very windy day despite the trees not moving in the background Uh, (laughs) but uh, Gage is following the kite while Lewis turns around to see to like tell Ellie that she'll get her turn with the kite next and it's and he turns around to see that Gage is walking towards the road chasing the kite and there's a truck coming so he has to run after Gage to try to grab him before he gets hit by the truck and he ends up tripping just before he can get into reach and gage does end up getting hit and killed by this truck i think it kills the driver too because he veers off the road because he was going so fast um Mm -hmm. that it really like in the remake does it so well too where it's just like a flying thousand pound metal thing that's just mm-hmm. barreling and then it just crashes somewhere yeah and it's uh, flipped over when it crashes yeah too. like which is why i think that the, the driver died mm-hmm. too uh but i will give the actor some credit this is where he emotes a lot mm-hmm. yeah it's heartbreaking also it's so upsetting to see a bloody child shoe fly in the yeah. road mm-hmm. like that's how you yeah. know he's dead because they're not just going to show you a dead, like, splattered child, thank God. But they'll show you the shoe to make sure you know, oh, yeah, he he did not make that. He's not coming back from that. And, I mean, the scene itself is is constructed in such a, an effective way. Because, like, there's so much dread that builds, builds up. And, like, I think that's honestly really, for the whole movie... I think why I like it so much is that like 
there's really not like a moment to really exhale. <laughs> like you're just getting hit like over and over and over and over again by different characters, by different situations, but you kind of almost feel the characters just kind of thinking about what could have been and like Gage's, you know, life and all the things he could have accomplished, but like obviously will not anymore. So it's just a very like, it's a very, very heavy scene. Mm-hmm. yeah one of my the things i always think about like i've seen this movie maybe half a dozen or so times and <clears throat> like i can only imagine Steve, you've seen it more than me uh but like how many times when you watch it you still it's like the first time you're watching that scene like yeah you're you just you, even though you know what's gonna happen yeah it, it just it hurts <laughs> to know yeah. that it's going you have to go through it again mm-hmm. yeah it's, you know, you, you kind of watch it and you're, you're like, well, maybe this time it'll be different. <laughs> maybe this time, you know, he'll grab him before yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever, but uh, obviously, you know, but I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that um, Stephen King had a similar situation, which kind of inspired him to write this book where he, like his son was about the same age, I believe. And he was kind of heading towards the road while there was a big truck coming. And Stephen King was able to grab him before he was able to get into the road. But I think that moment in his life kind of triggered this entire story. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrifying on just so many levels, but there's just a lot of trauma that's specifically in this one scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, I'm, I'm so thankful that Stephen King did have like the good ending where it was like, yes. he, did, he did catch his son, especially yeah. because, I mean, it, it's a bad joke, but like we wouldn't have had the black phone because Joe Hill, his son became a yeah. writer and also mm-hmm. writes a bunch of really dope horror stuff. And it, it's kind of, I would feel like it would be kind of cool to know, like I kind of inspired like this very yeah. existential horror <laughs> uh, Pet Cemetery, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, I was the kid that, that made it. <laughs> yeah. And so then we have to naturally pr- continue on with the progression of life, which is to hold the funeral for the kid, which is ugh, heartbreaking. And this is where Rachel's dad decides it's the perfect time to yell at Lewis about all the ways that he's fucked up uh, Rachel's life and then just straight up decks him in the face. And they end up in a yeah. whole little brawl. And I'm more upset by the one person who pulls him off and is like, Lewis, you got to pull it together. This is your son's funeral. And I'm like, first of all, fuck Everyone you. saw him <laughs> not start the fight. Like, everyone yeah. would understand. Everyone yeah. knows who the bad guy is here. Yeah. Fucking was- kill his ass. <laughs> first of all, he is the grieving father. I don't want anybody to tell him to pull it together at a funeral. Yeah. He has earned every right to have any and all emotions especially when his dad decides that that is the perfect time to berate him in front of everyone like that's just so fucked up it's also like just in a grief way especially for the plot it's one of my favorite scenes where they do it a little bit more in the remake where like lewis is so gone his like expression is like he's crying but he's very he's still very much like just disconnected Mm -hmm. And you can see on his face at the burial, like he's thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And at the burial, Judd has that whole moment where he like gets that fucking look in his eye 
and no amount of like, hey, wait, Lewis, wait, like, don't do it. None of that's going to stop him. Mm -hmm. And Judd, like, can see it. He's like, I I can see you've already made your mind up, but like, trust me, don't do it. But I mean, what else is Lewis to do? He's like, I failed my family. Mm -hmm. He just got attacked for being a failure. He's like, I have to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. he can't not do it now that he knows what's out there. Well, and he gets the perfect opportunity to do it as well because Rachel and the kids are going to go back to Chicago and the kid yikes uh, is heading back to (laughs) Chicago with her parents to spend a little bit of time away from the house where everything happened while Lewis finishes all of his affairs. But before Rachel leaves, she decides to drop on Lewis her trauma story of zelda i okay zelda is the scariest thing in, for me in this movie hands down um wow. rachel comes in yeah right and just kind of trauma dumps uh that when she was a little girl um at the at the very house that his family stayed in for thanksgiving and is gonna stay in when they go out of town uh you know, Rachel was left to look after her older sister, Zelda, who had some kind of like, like ALS or MS or some kind of like degenerative illness that like made her all crooked and and horrifying looking. Um, The makeup effects are nightmarish. They make her look like a corpse on a real live person that can move around and run across the room really quickly. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, she looks like she's got like no lips. She kind of looks like that creature from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The yeah. one that was up looking for its like toe. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like one of those drawings like come to life. And I think that's why it scared me so much because those drawings scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> and Rachel is supposed to feed Zelda, like spoon feed her. And Rachel talks about how disgusted she was seeing Zelda's deteriorating condition, seeing that a human being was reduced to something akin to a monster. Uh, and one day she feeds Zelda and she starts choking or, or she comes by and she hears Zelda calling out for help because she's like fallen or she starts to choke. And Rachel freezes and she just keeps hearing Zelda call her name in a very scary witchy type way. <laughs> And Rachel comes down and she screams that Zelda's dead, but she's like, you know, I was, I thought I was crying, but I, I think I was laughing because like I can finally be rid of this horrible burden that my parents put on me and when I was so, so young. And so she's obviously terrified of death and terrified of what death can, tra- how death can traumatize a child. Because it happened to her in like the worst way possible. Yeah, um, I do want to give a special shout out to um, the director for choosing to use uh, a male actor who is an adult rather than a thirteen-year-old girl in this, um, because it does also add to like the creepy factor that it doesn't look like a you would think a 13 year old girl would and it looks like it's grown and it's even more malformed because it's a larger person yeah i mean i i i've said that pascal is like the scariest thing but zelda is a very close second um i should dress up as her that'll be what i do (laughs) there you go (laughs) for sure 
because I am a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all you do, like you just need a nightgown, you just need a wig, and like somehow you need to make yourself look emaciated. Like <laughs> you know, I don't should be able to do it. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but I remember vividly watching this movie with my cousin the first time and um, the scene where church comes back, like that kind of startled him a little bit, but he like was able to continue watching. But the first scene that Zelda came up, like, I don't even think he could get through it. He's like, I, I need to watch something else. I need to cleanse the palate. Like I just need to like, <laughs> I need to like watch something else. And any time that I've talked about Pet Cemetery to anybody or I've seen anything online, everybody always says that like Zelda is this like nightmare creature that has like haunted their dreams for like years. Mm -hmm. And that's so effective. I mean, like that's really what a good horror movie or a good like horror villain is supposed to do. It's supposed to stay with you even after the credits roll. So, I mean, Again, another thing that this movie does very effectively is just kind of invoke that that level of horror. Yeah, and Danny, for the listeners who may not know Zelda, how was my hyping up? Did it do it justice? Because like I feel like a lot of people that maybe don't know what she looks like are going to listen to this and be like, okay, well she can't be that bad. Like, trust oh no, her. it's She's it's horrifying. really terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, like, it it's is. Fucking, we're not kidding. <laughs> it's very simple body horror, but it's very effective in how it's used. Like just seeing the like little bit of her back that's revealed in the little bit of an opening in the nightgown is. Skin crawlingly upsetting to like, look at. I'm shuddering right now. Thinking about <laughs> <this>. <laughs> I was like, Matt is currently cringing in the studio. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think it's cool too to note, like, you know, in a very like Stephen King allegory, or even more so like a Mike Flanagan e type way. I think that why Zelda is so terrifying, uh, even in the flashbacks that we see of her, that's obviously not how she looked. She, she was a little girl that had a horrible illness happen to her. This is what Rachel's like, like trauma, like, and, and like festering has done to her image of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot like all the ghosts in Haunting of Hill House being these like twisted nightmare versions of something the kids have seen. This is that for her. So when it comes time for the spirits of the pet cemetery to torment her, it chooses Zelda to come to her and to just taunt her mm-hmm. again in scenes that still make me shudder. <laughs> like I looked away at the, when I was watching it the other day, I was like, just stop talking. Zelda, please go away. <laughs> <laughs> A grown ass man. And I'm like, go away. Please. <laughs> so then uh, Rachel and Ellie do leave off and go to Chicago and Lewis actively chooses to not shake his father-in-law's hand, which I respect because I also wouldn't after he punched me at my son's funeral, even if he's trying to make amends. And then Lewis goes to do what must be done. And he goes to the graveyard during the day and he doesn't end up digging him up until that night so he has spent the entire day at the graveyard talking to his son's gravestone which is even more heartbreaking in concept to me because like he has spent the entire day going over everything to make sure that this is the right decision for him and 
even though we all know it can't end well, he decides that this is his best course of actions after mulling it out for probably eight to 12 hours before he even starts digging. And he also has to look at his yeah. son's dead body that's when he digs it up. And that's got to take such a mental toll. I mean, him cradling the corpse, it's still in its like funeral vestments and him just like wide-eyed rocking it back and forth as he's like clearly been crying. Like it's such a dark look. Like it's such a scary image. Uh, and I tried to alleviate it by thinking that Grief Struck Grave Robber is a great band name. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was what got me through that. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It is a good band name. Yeah, man. <laughs> I can see that. They could do like, you know, covers of Ramones songs. So, yeah. Exactly. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> That would be like my like funeral derangements, like my song about Pet Cemetery. I just call it that one. <laughs> I like it. So Lewis, once he does the unspeakably awful task of digging up his son's body, takes it all the way back to the Pet Cemetery and the, past the Pet Cemetery up to the Micmac burial ground. And it's here that I kind of realize, like, especially if you're carrying a body, the the long hike up like all of the you know the trees and the rocks and it's, it's a very arduous journey mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of engineered to deter you from um <clears throat> burying a body in there like in the grounds again it's like deliberately being like don't do this like please turn mm-hmm. back like we promise it will not be fun yeah well and judd got a call from rachel in chicago to be like, hey, Ellie saw another vision and she wants to hear from her dad, but I couldn't reach him at the house. Is he with you? And Judd's like, no. And Judd knows what Lewis is off to do then. And so he tries to stay awake to stop Lewis when he gets back home, but he ends up having one too many beers and falls asleep on his porch. And Rachel's Rachel's like, you know what? I'm coming home. I'm going to make it back and I'm going to make sure everything's okay with Lewis. Because I know very home alone of her. It is. And she she goes through it trying to get home. But luckily she's got a ghost on her side. Yeah. It's not John Candy though. She doesn't get his help to get back home. No. No polka. No polka team this time. I will say this is kind of like the point in the movie where like I stopped seeing Pascal as terrifying. Yeah, because he gets goofy now, because he's helpful. Yeah, and he's kind of got these like wisecracks that he like, that like, and I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, well, what a turn of events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, Rachel just really goes through hell and high water trying to get back to that house. It's yeah. wild. Well, yeah, and Pascal was very adamant about this is the spirit trying to stop you from stopping it from happening. And like, that's terrifying that it has that much power over just the everyday world mm-hmm. once and it starts to gain like, power the like levity of the way that pascal shows back up because like he went from being like the soil of a man's heart is stony and now he's like get this minivan like, <laughs> he's helpful but in a goofy light-hearted way that makes you think like Rachel's going to do it. Like Rachel's mm-hmm. going to be able to, mm-hmm. to get there and to stop him from doing any more damage. 
But alas, we see the little tiny gauge hand emerge from the rocks. Evil gauge is not a threat. I do not understand how this works. I was talking to Nora about it yesterday, where I was like, yeah, they bury the kid in the pet cemetery, and he comes back and he kills people. And she's like, but how? I'm like, well, you see, he like hides and you know what? No, he's not a threat. <laughs> it's Chucky rules. No one thinks yeah. to punt him. <laughs> well, well, right, but Chucky at least has the mind of a man. This is still like a small boy. <laughs> Like, he's not strong. He's just a... I mean, I guess you're right. If it's piloted by the evil spirit, I guess it does kind of answer that question for me. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, kick it. Get it out of the way. Just lift <laughs> it up and move it. <laughs> I feel like there's also, like, the shock factor of just seeing Gage again that, like, kind of almost paralyzes, like, all of the other characters. So they're like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't really know what to do in this situation. Yeah. I mean, it also, certainly does it for Lewis. Well, yeah, and oh, Gage yeah. terrifyingly taunts everybody with his cute little tiny child laugh. He's it's still cute, though. <laughs> oh, he's adorable. Because it's him. Like, I can't be afraid of you. It's you. Yeah, it's just like, I want to play with you. I'm like, I can't be scared by that. <laughs> I can take him. <laughs> but man, does he know how to, like terrify judd because he goes into his dad's doctor bag and grabs a scalpel which is too sharp for a child to be holding um but just small enough for him to hold exactly it's small enough it's smaller than a knife so he can actually fit it in his tiny baby claws (laughs) this tiny baby head he's two (laughs) he's like barely two years old um and he effectively scares Judd into his own bedroom. Before he can look under the bed for him, he like hacks into his Achilles tendon, which I still can't look at. Those are the kinds yeah. of attacks that I can't watch on a movie. We talked about this with Hostel. Like, just don't show it. Just imply mm-hmm. it, but don't actually don't show it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that that like Achilles slash. Like even so I'm 29 and and I probably saw this movie when I was like seven or eight, which is far too young, but I every single morning that I like wake up and I go to get out of bed, I can't put my feet just flat on the floor. Like I have to kind of like yeah. <laughs> like stick my feet like out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just just drop a book first. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna there. test the waters here. <laughs> but oh. I, it's it's why it's like it, but it's it's what good horror does. Like it mm-hmm. traumatizes you after the movie's over. So yeah. fine. <laughs> I feel like that's how you gotta go like to one of these horror conventions, meet like the adult gauge and just like yeah, really firm handshake and be like, you're a fucking bastard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then to finish off Judd, he gets another like cheek slash, and then cute little baby gauge goes for like biting the jugular <laughs> he like rips his throat out with his teeth again he's like he's barely got all of his teeth. he's got all of his baby he's got a couple baby teeth in oh ooh, that means it'd be like difficult yeah oh, oh gross and at this point lewis has fallen asleep so he doesn't know that gage is back and he also doesn't know that rachel has appeared 
and entered the chat. (laughs) (laughs) Silence, Brand. (laughs) But uh, Rachel gets taunted by the voice of Zelda that brings her over to Judd's house. And she starts to, like, hear gauge and that is enough to like freak her out and she's also hearing zelda at the same time so she's just getting like the one-two punch of trauma at this point until she sees gauge and uh it kind of like fades to black on her and we don't really know that she also gets murdered until later i mean he does look really cute in the top hat and the cane and it's little his big little fun shoes he's a like, little he's, showman like <laughs> he's a little song and dance guy <laughs> he's got a song and song. like let him let him be <laughs> or again you just push him like push him over he's a child his those muscles are like non-existent <laughs> Like later when he like kind of topples over, I'm like, you're just like a like a little bundle of silly fun cuddles. Like you can't hurt anybody. <laughs> you're like completely harmless. I'm sorry, but I think a, a bundle of silly fun cuddles is my favorite quote of our entire podcast. <laughs> 70 plus episodes. And that could also be a band name as well. <laughs> I <laughs> That'll be the band name, and we'll make uh, "Grief Stricken Grave Robber" as our as our is the little homage song, <laughs> and then we'll cover uh, the Ramones Pet Cemetery song that plays in the credits oh, naturally. Bro, <laughs> the cover that they did for the new movie in the credits, the Star Color Color, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but anyway, <laughs> so Lewis wakes up and he sees tiny gauge uh, dirt prints and he's like oh no and then he sees his missing scalpel and he's like oh no and he sees the, <laughs> the steps lead over to Judd's place and it starts off by like showing him a decrepit house just to like prove that it has powers over what he sees and I'm just like that's just unnecessarily mean after Lewis has already gotten a phone call from his child saying that he's already played with Judd and mommy and now he wants to play with you. Which he says it's you. Just like weird. imagine him picking up the phone and he's like dialing it and he's just <laughs> like please answer. <laughs> and so Lewis makes his way over and he sees Judd's dead body and then in a very elaborate um, trauma um, Gage reveals that uh, Rachel is also dead by dropping her from the attic and just looking at his father with the scalpel in hand um, yeah it, it's like the double whammy of like your son is alive and killed your wife who is also dead it kind of is like lost on him already though because he's like already so shattered and like so fucked when he's on a one-track mind, he brought his lethal injections to kill both Church and Gage. Yeah, man, he killed that cat. <laughs> well, yeah, he feeds the cat, like, a big old hunk of steak, and while it's eating, he's, like, just grabs it by the scruff of its neck and kills it. But he tries to do the same thing with Gage, but Gage knocks the syringe out of his hands and down the stairs. And you'd think this might mean the end for our intrepid hero, question mark. 
I don't think so. Again, two-year-old who just like <laughs> the little animatronic of him in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's that actually was pretty creepy looking. But lo and behold, Lewis did have an extra scalpel in his pocket, or not scalpel, a uh, syringe in his pocket. After he gets cut by the scalpel a couple times, he does succeed in putting it like right under his jawbone is where he injects his son um and then yeah he like does a little fall back where he looks like a kid again and he like falls over a beam that's like Like, three inches tall he gets the the dose and then he becomes normal gauge again Mm -hmm. so he's like big doe eyes and it's like when you give a kid a shot like like at the doctor and like they kind of get like little sad face and he's just like that's not fair. And then he like falls over. <laughs> like, come on. Wait, and he, he like hits his head on the door frame. And that's what I feel most bad about. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? Like he just killed them, two people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, are you okay? And Lewis, having learned nothing over the last day, he grabs his wife's dead body and starts walking back to the beyond the pet cemetery. And Pascal's like, dude. Have you learned nothing? Yeah, like you still haven't learned a lesson, you idiot. And he's like, no, this one's more fresh. It'll work this time. And we're like, no, it won't. <laughs> I mean, we haven't done the research. Maybe it, maybe it will. Does that work out for him, Matt? Well, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It actually ends very poorly. The worst way possible. I hate how gross she looks too. Like she's like leaking. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's got like pus coming out of her oh, eye when God. when he decides to kiss her, which I would not be doing at that oh, point. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's one of the nastiest scenes in the movie, and that says a lot. Mm-hmm. But like, Truly. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's exactly like when the pus like starts, like she blinks and she's like, ah, oh, and I'm like, no, <laughs> just end, good now. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna bury you again. We'll put you yeah. in for like. 15 more minutes. Yeah. You're right as rain. (laughs) (laughs) And then we roll credits and we hear the Ramones. And that is the original. But she kills him. Well, it's implied that she she takes the knife. That's right. Um, And then he screams at the beginning of the Ramones song. Correct. Yeah. But that still leaves Ellie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover Pet Cemetery 2 someday, so we're going to talk about what happens to her. God, I love Pet Cemetery 2. It's, I mean, I think there are parts in that movie that are a lot, I don't say a lot scarier, but they're, they're pretty scary. I mean, like, genuinely. Like, especially the, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away. I mean, yeah. I mean, all we really got to say is that uh, the voice of Mr. Krabs uh, <laughs> kills a kid with a dirt bike. <laughs> but that's Pet Cemetery the first. Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. just Pet Cemetery. I love it. I think it's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's such yeah. a good one. And even, even the remake is worth watching. Because um, like I said before, when the when the characters like swap places so like in the in the remake they everything kind of happens to ellie instead of gage Mm -hmm. i think that's just so effective because like i said i feel like she just 
has a little bit more of an idea about what's going on and she's a little bit more mobile. (laughs) She's a little bit more like efficient with what she can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The remake is certainly much scarier as a whole, like the vibe, like I remember when the trailer came out and I'm like, wait, I don't remember creepy kids doing scary funeral processions with horrifying animal masks. That's very scary. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Judd is played by um, John Lithgow. John Lithgow, uh, who, who kills it too. And um, I, I always forget the guy's name who's the dad, but he's um, also exquisitely amazing in everything. <laughs> and we covered a movie or two that the mom was in. I can't remember. Uh, oh yeah, but it, it's it's a solid movie. It's very mm-hmm. solid. Now, Steve, I would be a miss if i didn't get a chance to talk to you about your upcoming album please plug um, it yes talk i would love to hear about it so i've got uh, my first ever ep that's coming out on the 21st um and there's actually so the the first track is called ouija um and basically that one is like our 80s pop bop of the record um so that song in particular is kind of built um with horror references so actually a couple lines from pet cemetery it's the two quotes that i mentioned earlier nice (laughs) butter and the ground being sour um the song itself is kind of about just letting people remain in your past and not allowing them to make a resurgence like you can kind of wish them well but they don't have to be in your life and Mm -hmm. so it starts off with like a phone ringing and then do you like scary movies, which is obviously uh, a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it's just, it's a really fun song because especially if you love horror, um, there's just, a, there's probably, I would say maybe like 20 references throughout the whole song. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so it's a five track EP and it comes out on the 21st. Um, it's available for pre-save on Spotify mm-hmm. called Ghastly. I mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the single uh, "Smells Like a Funeral" is already out on Spotify. So. I love that song. It's oh, so yeah. it's so like the perfect spook. Like right when it came out, when Danny yeah. sent sent it over, he's like, "Oh, here's a Spotify." Line. I'm like, "Okay, this is like right the fall vibe I need for it." To <laughs> still feeling like summer, but mm-hmm. it, it's so cool because like I know on your description in Spotify, it was like it normally isn't what you expect to like make music about horror stuff like it's not yeah. really the genre but like it goes so well together it's so cool thanks thanks i appreciate that yeah we uh we've been working on the record um since i think like february or march but i've been writing uh, myself for like 14 years so yeah i know that i've been listening to smells like a funeral pretty much at least every other day as i've been driving to and from my errands and to the theater it's yeah like matt was saying it's been like a great vibe for me this fall um yeah i'm a a big fan of your work so far i can't wait to check out the album in two weeks now yeah two weeks from today yeah it's gonna it's gonna be something it'll be easier to remember uh because it comes out the same day as taylor swift's record uh which i did not anticipate (laughs) no competition there of course (laughs) i'm gonna have to try and outsell her i don't know if i can do it (laughs) we've got our support yes (laughs) i really appreciate that guys that does mean a lot of course yeah Yeah, it's been great having you on today 
Yeah, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. If you guys ever need, uh, you know, a guest to come on again, and just let me know. I can great. definitely make myself available um, whenever you guys do the sequel or if you do the remake or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a um, uh, Wonderful World of Remake episode sometime in the future oh, yeah. about uh, Pet Cemetery. Because we've got like a good 30 to like anytime we just don't have something, we're like, okay, let's reach into the bag and pull one of the remakes out. We'll do that one. Um, like when we did Black Christmas, that was our first like just grab bag. And like at least our first recording of it was like the best episode we'd ever done. <laughs> but no, like I know I'd love to uh, to talk more about that. But what do we have up next for Spooktober, Danny? So this year for Spooktober, we have a fun little contained trilogy that we're covering, which is uh, Netflix's original Fear Street trilogy that came out last year, um, which I know both Matt and I haven't watched yet. Uh, yeah, we're going so in we're... with our little floaties and our and our life preservers, and we we're going to be freshmen at high school for our first time. <laughs> I, this is two mixed analogies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say it's a treat. Um, they did it really well, and that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to give anything away, especially that's if you guys. Excellent. So. Yeah. I'm really I know to. that um, we also have a pretty uh, big episode um, in- interspersed in a bonus episode format. So two, two years ago, Danny, was it when we did Halloween the first time around this exact time two years ago? Yeah, it was two years ago because that was 2020. Yeah. Uh, the Cursed series. <laughs> when we covered those movies. When we was, took, uh, when we bit off a little bit more than we could chew. The, listen, I still, I still stand by those episodes are pretty solid, but it was a lot of, uh, oh shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Um, now that the franchise is officially coming to an end this fall with Halloween ends, um, we thought we might uh, cap off that series of the bonus episode that will be a full, definitely a full length episode um, because we also haven't covered Halloween kills. So yes. in all of our episodes on this series, we covered three or two movies. This works out perfectly. So we're going to be covering Halloween kills and Halloween ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be after we see Halloween ends. So like, we're not even going to bother spoiling warning you. Like we're just going to do it now. If we're doing yeah. an episode of Halloween ends, like we're going to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely, man. And bro, there's so many things that have come out in the last couple of weeks that we got to do bonus episodes on. We'll have a lot of bonus episodes peppered in both this month and next month, just to catch up on all of the movies we've seen recently that we are going to see, like we were just talking about before we recorded the new Hellraiser for Hulu. Oh, um, it's so good. Which I'm very excited to check out. We we'll also have Mike Flanagan's new show. We've got Smile. We've got Beast. We've got Barbarian. We Barbarian. have a whole slew of movies to talk about. And yes, of course, when we finish Mike Flanagan's series, we'll have to talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it might even be, depending on uh, the vibe, uh, we might be covering our first Disney product with Werewolf by Night, which also yeah. drops today. I forgot that drop today. Yeah, so did I, because I was like, Hellraiser, Hellraiser, Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Steve. I hope yes. you enjoy yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad that we got to do this. And where can people follow you on social media, Steve? So I'm on Instagram and Twitter um, at Steve Vacanti. So just my my name. <laughs> um yeah, so I will be posting. I'm actually starting to post um, 
like about each song. Like I, I posted the track number five. I posted a little bit about that today. Um, but I will be posting kind of periodically up through the release date so that everyone can kind of get a little bit of uh, behind the scenes for all the songs before they're officially out on the 21st. Fantastic. That's awesome, man. I'm so excited for that sort of thing. I'm a sucker for anything that's like horror related in music and like, <laughs> We'll definitely be putting up your stuff. We'll be sharing it on the podcast Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach <laughs> us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I usually give advice, um, but I think it's more or less self-explanatory that uh, sometimes that is better. And you all stay spooky out there. Yeah.